This is KMTT. Tuesday, Parshat HaShavua, will be delivered by Rav Alex Israel. This week we are um, going to study Parsha Bahar and the topic of uh, Shemitah, or Shana Shvi at the seventh year. And in truth, uh, I feel that they're emerging out of Yom HaTzma'ut, coming out of a day which has been full of celebration about our renewed independence and our land, there couldn't be a more appropriate topic uh, to discuss this week. Of course, uh, just to, let's get everybody on the, on the, on the same page. Uh, Parshat Bahar opens with the mitzvah of Shemitah. And what exactly is the mitzvah of Shemitah? That every seventh year there is a sabbatical year, a Shemitah year, and in the Shemitah year, there are a series of things that we're not allowed to do. Our parsha mentions the notion of agriculture, that we're not allowed to work the land, we're not allowed to prune our trees. Um, in contemporary Israel, this provides a severe challenge to anybody who wants to look after their garden. And it's even more of a challenge uh, in the area of um, food production during this year. And we hopefully will have some time to discuss this later, whichever way. During the seventh year, we're told, You're not allowed to sow the field, you're not allowed to prune your vineyard. Even, you know, anything which grows in your field, you must not harvest. You're not allowed to harvest your grapes. Of course, you'll say, well, so what do people eat? Well, you're not allowed to harvest it in a commercial sense, but you're allowed to pick what you need in order to survive and in order to subsist. And the phrase in our in our uh, parsha is Vahita Shabbat Ha'aretz Lachem Lochla, you are allowed to eat uh, during this Shabbat Ha'aretz, this Shabbat for the land. In other words, this is for you, for your slave, for your maidservant, for all of your employees, etc., etc. Now, what I would like to do today is to take a look at different parashiyot of uh, Shemitah as they appear in the Torah. There are three parashiyot, one in Shemot, one in Vayikra, and one in Devarim. And I would like to highlight the dissonance and the differences between each of these. And hopefully we will also use the Rishonim, uh, maybe even something more contemporary than the Rishonim, to highlight what is so special about Shemitah. So let's uh, take a look and we'll go in order. We'll start off with Shemot. Shemot at the end of Parshat Mishpatim, um, chapter 23, we see um, just after we've actually discussed um, fair treatment of the poor, especially in the courtroom, we read there the following. For six years you shall plant your land, and harvest its produce, and in the seventh, you should release it, the word Shemitah is from release, and abandon it, and the poor of your people will eat, and whatever is left, left can be eaten by the animals, came to aset not only for your field, but so for your vineyard and for your olive orchard. 
It goes in to talk about then Shabbat Sheshitamim Tasem Masechal Vimashvitishpot Lamanya Noach Shorchavachamorcha Vina Fesh Banamatecha Vahagir. When we look at uh, Parshat Shemot, when we look at Sefer Shemot, the question is what exactly what exactly is the purpose of Shemitah? What is uh, emphasized here? And uh, there would seem to be no doubt that what is there would seem to be no doubt that what is emphasized here is the idea of va'achlu evyonei amecha, the notion of looking out for the poor. There is a certain sense that Shemitah is an equalizer. In fact, here it even talks about what seems to be concern for our animals. The animals, everybody is on an equal footing. You don't have uh, the landowner, the farmer. And let's remember that in ancient times, um, real power came from land. Now maybe it's in terms of real estate, but then it was more when we were an agrarian culture, um, from from landowning meant so that you were able to farm, and there were certain people who were peasants who didn't own land. Suddenly during Shemitah, the advantage of the landowner is in some way taken away, because he's not allowed to use his advantage. He's allowed to eat as much as anybody else. He Whatever grows in his field, he can take what he needs, but he's not allowed to store it away. Um, and in fact, other people are allowed to come and pick uh, the fruit on his trees and the produce in his fields. And uh, this is a phenomenal equalizer. Not only the poor will eat, in other words, this year the poor will have more food, but there is a sense of everybody being equal. I always say that, uh, you know, during, during Shemitah, maybe for the first time, the high mighty landowner will have to go down and pick his oranges for himself or he will go out into the field and maybe the first time he'll actually see some of his workers and they will see him not as a boss and them as an employee but uh, rather as as equals since they're both picking their apples in the orchard or they might even have a discussion about their children and about and find that they have something more in common than they anticipated than they thought. This is the Parsha in Shemot. It's a very powerful Parsha. It's a very beautiful Parsha. The purpose of Shemitah is to look out for the poor. As I say, it is uh, encased within a parsha which has already spoken about the place of strangers, the place of social inequality within society, the rich and the poor. And Shemitah apparently is a part of all of this, which helps uh, with the social cohesion and to reduce the gap, the, the, the economic gap between rich and poor. That's uh, the parsha in Shemot in Parshat Mishpatim. Let's shift over to Sefer Vayikra. Sefer Vayikra uses a different phraseology which isn't apparent in, in, in Shemot. And this is what it says there. Um, when you come into the land which I give to you, says God, Shabbat Lashem. The land should rest a Shabbat Lashem. It should rest a Sabbath for God. This uh, parsha is uh, introduces something new, and that is a new religious dimension to resting. The notion that ki noten lachem, you're coming into the land which I give you, says God. Suddenly, we are dealing with religious themes. God gives us the land; it is not our land, and we rest Shabbat Lashem. And just like Shabbat, the Shabbat of the week, represents the notion that the land that God created the world 
and when he rests, we have to rest. Likewise, not only on a weekly basis, but on a seven-year basis, we demonstrate that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the, um, is the master of the land, and that we don't have ultimate rights to this land. It's really God's land, and when God, uh, God expresses his ownership of the land, and our tenure on the land is sort of a, a, a gift of God, by, from time to time, us relinquishing our hold on the land and having a Shabbat Hashem. This is Shabbat. It is for God. It is religiously oriented. And that is what it is about. And that is the... Um, I mean, obviously, there are many other uh, aspects of this which are repeated. Of course, the social equality, I think, is mentioned here in a verse we mentioned before. For you, for your servant, for your maidservant, for your hired worker, for the people who are residents with you. The sense of social equality is mentioned here as well. But that we already saw in Shemot. The additional dimension is this notion of... Um, it's called a Shabbat Shabbaton, a Sabbath of Sabbaths, Shabbat Lashem. It is a Shabbat Lashem. Um, very, very powerful lines. Okay, so so far we have mentioned Shemitah in sense of an agricultural society, and it's a society that we don't really understand so much today, where we live in a sort of a market economy, and we're not dealing in a in an economy where we barter our our barley for your uh, cotton and whatever it might be. Uh, we deal with a, a an economy based on on money and uh, based on finance. And the Torah doesn't forget about that either. If you look in the Sefer Devarim, there is a different type of shemitah, and the shemitah there is not a um, agricultural shemitah; it is a financial shemitah. I'm here looking in Devarim chapter. 15, where it says the following, At the end of seven years, practice Shemitah, practice release. And this is the release that you should do. Anybody who owes something, sorry, anybody who um, who is owed something, anybody who has lent, should relinquish it. You can't reclaim your loans because God uh, has called a sense of release. And he says, uh, non-Jews will still owe us money, but Jews won't. So that there will be no poor. And God will bless you. In the land that God gives you, to live. Notice here, uh, we're in a totally different arena. We're in the arena of finance, of lending, of uh, of loans, and the Torah tells us that it, every seven years we relinquish all the loans. Now, notice the other elements are here. The social equality is here. The Shabbat Lashem is here, but this is in a different realm. This is in the realm of of money, of finance, and this is a tremendous, tremendous institution. Obviously, over the period of years. Um, we there is a social equality. Some people inequality. Some people gain more funds, and some people lose their money. And we can reach a situation where there are widening gaps between rich and poor. Um, every seven years, God says, "Press the reset button." 
press the reset button, of course, whatever money I have in my bank remains in the bank. But if somebody has uh, fallen on hard times, they've taken out a mortgage which is too large, they have uh, fallen on hard times and they can't repay their loans, give the guy a chance. Uh, you are the haves, you are the have-nots, and the have-nots have got a chance to begin again and not to go into increasing, to descend into increasing depths of debt. Now, we can already understand that uh, this is a very, very difficult law to keep. And that's exactly why in Sefer Devarim we're warned that uh, the Torah tells us um, don't be cruel, don't be mean. And he says, Pen be very careful. Maybe you'll have a bad thought in your heart and say, The seventh year is coming, the year of release. And you'll see the poor person, you won't even finance him in the third or fourth or fifth year because you're worried that he won't pay you back in the seventh. The Torah says, if you do that, if the poor person calls to you because he can't get a loan, you will incur a sin. And instead, what should you do? Give him widely, lend money, let the economy flow. God will bless your, your, your ventures, your enterprise. So we have a very comprehensive um, coverage of this uh, law of Shemitah in the Torah. And I'd like to try and use some of the Rishonim in order to highlight just how special this is. We're going to deal with two very different Rishonim. Maybe we'll even talk about the difference between them. The Rambam and the Sefer HaChinuch. They're more or less contemporaries, but uh, they have a very different vantage point. And let's try and... Uh, Maybe we'll start off with the Rambam. The Rambam from the Guide to the Perplexed um, in section 3, chapter 39. I'll read it in English. He says, Of all the mitzvot which we have enumerated for you in the laws of Shemitah and the Jubilee, some of them are inspired by compassion for mankind and they're designed to promote the well-being of all society as the Torah states. And the needy of your people shall eat. And what they leave, the beast of the field shall eat. That's a quote from Shemot. Furthermore, the earth will increase its yield and improve its fertility through the Shemitah. Some of the laws are inspired by compassion for the slaves and the poor. That is to say, the release of money and the release of slaves. Um, that takes place, so release of slaves in the Yovel year, in the 50th year, the Jubilee year. Others are designed to redress the inequalities of income and the economy. Since the land cannot be alienated from its owners, it is impossible to sell it for eternity. As it says, and the land shall not be sold for eternity. A man's property remains for him and his heirs. The Rambam is relating not only to Shemitah, but to its counterpart, or its, the Yovel, the Jubilee year, in which not only do is, can the land not be worked, and not only every seven years the loans go back, but every 49 years, land is returned to its ancestral owners. And uh, if there has been a sense of inequality uh, in terms of real estate, the whole land is on a sort of 49-year lease, allowing, um, allowing a land to go back to its, to its original owners. Now, for the Rambam, um, you notice the Rambam talks about society, economics. The Rambam is talking about uh, um, compassion for mankind. It would almost appear that the Rambam draws on Shemot 
and draws on Tvarim very, very heavily. And here he mentions a social conscience, a conscience for actually the ecology of the country. Um, very interesting perspective. Let's contrast that with that with the approach of the Sefer HaChinuch. So we don't quite know who wrote it, but he comes from the Spanish school, 13th century student of the Ramban and others. He says, the root of the mitzvah is to fix in our hearts and to create a very firm image in our minds of the notion of creation. That the work that the because in six days God created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, where He didn't create anything, He declared rest for Himself. And in order to remove and to uproot from our from our uh, thoughts the notion of the eternity of the world that the world was never created, He says, for that reason, we have the obligation to regulate all our time, both in terms of our days and our years to count for six years and to rest in the seventh. The Sefer HaChinuch is very interesting because he's actually relating to a problem that uh, comes as a result of the Greek philosophers, Plato, Aristotle, who did not believe in the notion of creation. And this became an extreme problem in the time of the Rishonim, in the 11th, 12th century. All of the philosophers deal with this. The Rambam deals with this extensively in Moronavuchim. And uh, it bothered them greatly that uh, here were the greatest philosophers saying, the greatest people in science, and saying that the world had never been created, and therefore the Chinuch comes to say that the whole notion of Shemitah is there to entrench the idea of creation, the idea of God's creation in our minds, and that we should never ever fall into this trap thinking there was not a moment of creation. We spend our week, you know, on a tempo of six, and then one day of rest, our years, a tempo of six, and one year of rest, in order to establish this very firmly, that God created the world. Now, the Chinuch takes this even in a higher spiritual direction, because he says that there are various effects of this. And uh, one, uh, the first is that we should understand the notion of God as a master. He says we should understand that the land, which is the source of our livelihood, which is the source of our wealth. The land which produces its fruits for us every single year. It is not through my power, or it's not even through the land's power, that it produces it. There is a master over the land, that's the farmer, but there is a master over the master of the land, and that is God. And when God desires, he tells us to abandon the field. In other words, this is not only a notion of intellectually knowing that God created the world, but is actually entrenching in our minds that the land is not ours, the land really belongs to God. The Chinuch goes even further and says we are all to learn the notion of um, release, what he calls vatranut, the notion of letting things go and uh, that we can become overly possessive, overly materialistic, overly stuck in our own four walls, only overly obsessed with our possessions. The whole idea of releasing in Shemitah is to overcome this egocentric, object-centric culture, and to let go and leave everything, appreciating that there is a master over the land, but there is a master over me, the master of the land, and when God says let go, I have to let go. He adds a third point, which is 
And this creates increased faith in God, because how do you think you're going to survive during Shemitah? You have to have bitachon b'shem baruch You will notice a radical difference between the Chinuch and the Moranavuchim. The Moranavuchim talks all about society. The Chinuch talks about the mind of the religious individual. And you find this quite consistently in many places that the Sefer Chinuch frequently talks about what mitzvot do within yourself, within your own religious psyche, within your own mind, with your own religious personality, within your own soul. Whereas the Moranavuchim will talk about wider effects to society, to the land, to it's, it's much wider, it's sometimes frequently outside the individual and the effect that it will have on, on the wider environment. Be that as this may, you can notice that the Rambam draws on Shemot and Barim, whereas the Chinuch is all focused on God. He's very focused on Parshat Bahar, on the notion of Shabbat Lashem, the idea that this all leads us back to God. And um, maybe, you know, I'll, I'll bring these two together with the incredible comments of Rav Cook, where Rav Cook talks about the, the effect of, um, of Shemitah for society, and um, I'll read a few lines of what he says. He says, life can only be perfected through the affording of a breathing space from the bustle of everyday life. The individual recovers from the influence of the mundane at frequent intervals. For example, every Shabbat day, when the Shabbat Every Shabbat, every Shabbat day, when we can rest from the week. What the Shabbat achieves regarding the individual, Shemitah achieves with regard to the nation as a whole. The nation, Am Yisrael, in which the Divine Spirit dwells prominent and eternal, has a special need to express from time to time the revelation of its own Divine Light at its fullest brightness. It can become, he says, it will only be expressed by its full brightness when it's not suppressed by the toil and the passions and the rivalries of everyday life. So that, um, he says, the um, difficulty and the, um, how should we say, the wearing down which is bound to be present in the life of a collective causes the deterioration of the moral standard of life. The constant conflict between the ideal um, and other things, these cause the distancing of the divine light and therefore the periodic suspension of normal social routines raises Am Yisrael spiritually and morally. Sometimes I've described the Shemitah as a sort of hybrid between capitalism and socialism. People sometimes, you know, look at uh, Shemitah and they say, oh, socialism, right? What, we can't earn a, a, a living what every single few years we have to calibrate the economy in order to deal with the failed people who don't want to work or people who just don't have the wherewithal to do so. But actually, the Torah does believe in capitalism. It believes in six years of capitalism. Capitalism has a somewhat brutal side. And sometimes it can really create vast inequalities of of income. And uh, sometimes people are just simply unfortunate. And the notion that you have some ability to somewhat redress people's dignity, somewhat give people a, a, a breathing space from their obsession and their slavery to their careers, and where they have to shift what they're doing, whether it be in agriculture or finance, and, and, and change gear and go at a different pace. I don't know whether 
uh, people sit and learn all year during Shemitah. There are certainly other things that the farmer can do. He's allowed to fix up his paths and his walls and his, uh, you know, build a new barn and plenty of things that the farmer can do during Shemitah. But it will certainly be a change of, of pace. And it's certainly a year of greater reliance on God. And it's a certain, certainly a year of greater cohesion. And all of these maybe make us not only more spiritual, but also more humane. I always look at, uh, at Shemitah as an in, a phenomenal creation of Judaism, a phenomenal message from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that we shouldn't get tied up with our, with our work. I remember many years ago seeing a video, um, I think it was a video which was created by the Gesher organization and by uh, Yehuda Wurzel, who, uh, where they showed, it was actually a video about Shabbat, an animated movie, but uh, in this animated movie, everybody went about their works, work, and the secretary was uh, head was a computer, and the accountant's head was a calculator, and the flower seller's head was a flower, and the tourist's head was a camera. And everybody was was actually their profession, and as the clock wound round to Friday afternoon to Shabbat, everybody turned off their uh, computer and suddenly became a person. And, put away their flowers and became a person and put down their camera and became a person. And then on Shabbat we have the opportunity to become just who we are. You know, how often we meet people and we say, what's your name? What do you do? And we judge people by their profession. Um, and Schmitter gives us an opportunity to have a little bit of space to be human, to be a little more human than we are in the hustle and bustle, in the rat race of our everyday lives. And as Rav Cook says, to allow some space for our soul to shine through. So, I always think that Shemitah represents this quite phenomenal, phenomenal vision. Well, if Shemitah is a phenomenal vision, the question is, what is left of it today? And that's what I would like to discuss with the few minutes that are left uh, of our discussion. I'm sure that many listeners um, are aware of the institution of Prusbal, Prusbal was uh, a rabbinic enactment made by Hillel for allowing loans to be collected after the Shemitah. Um, what happened? You have Hillel Hazaken who saw that exactly what the Torah warned about was not being heeded. And uh, people were not lending and people were scared that their money would not be collected after Shemitah. And Hillel realized that the intention of the Torah was being abrogated because now not only were people... Uh, people were so being so machmer about Shemitah that they weren't lending the rest of the year, and uh, since people were afraid they wouldn't get their money back, they weren't even lending in the beginning. So he instituted a process whereby the lender authorizes the court, the bet din, to collect all his debts after Shemitah. In other words, the letter of the law is kept; all the loans go away. But what we do is we sort of like we sell our chametz, we sell our loans to the Bet Din, and the Bet Din reinstate them after Shemitah, and, and then people will get their money back, and then people will loan, and this happens through Prusbal, which is a document formalizing the transfer of authority to the Bet Din, and, uh, you know, we fill a Prusbal every single year, for every single Shemitah year here in Israel. Now, of course, uh, the this is, on the one hand, many people will say, an achievement of the rabbinic establishment, that they enabled to ensure that society was lending. But in many senses, this is terrible, because it's an 
abrogation of the whole spirit of the law. Because now that whole social equalizer, that notion of annulling loans is, is, is finished because we can use the prosbol. It's a halachic solution. It has kept the letter of the law, but it has ripped out the heart of the law. It has uh, gone against the spirit of the law. A similar thing happened in our century, or in the last century, with what is known as the Heter Mechira. Um, I think it started in, in 1914, if I'm not mistaken, when uh, many kibbutzim had been set up, and the question was what to do about Shemitah, and everybody realized that trying to build our new Medina Israel, um, they didn't know it would be called Medina Israel then, but trying to engage in what they called then the national renaissance, through uh, setting up farms around the country, these farms could not subsist if they didn't work for a year, and therefore Rav Cook tried to utilize an old heter, which had been already in existence before his time, to sell the land to a non-Jew, and still to be able to work it, so in order to make a livelihood and to subsist. And in fact, till today, uh, this heter mechira still exists, and um, you know one can well imagine what would happen to Israel's market share in the world economies, if we produce nothing during Shemitah, we would certainly, in a, in a modern economy, lose many of our market niches. And I wonder how we'd all, you know, if everything was imported into Israel, it would probably be quite a security risk in many ways. And uh, nowadays, the Israeli economy continues. However, um, people in different farms and different kibbutzim uh, rely on the Heter Mechira, where they actually do sell the land and um, the Mashkiach of Tnuva, Ravitman, who lives here in Alon Shvut, has been working over the last few Shemitot in making the Hetemachira more and more serious and more and more rigorous, and uh, this is a solution for the country. What is. Uh, so we, we, we're keeping Shemitah by not keeping Shemitah. We use the Prusbal for our finances and we use Hetemachira for our fields, and now we keep Shemitah Lamahadrin, and yet we don't keep Shemitah. And here I come to something that Rav Lichtenstein wrote a number of years ago, where he spoke about uh, this sense of the tragedy of Shemitah. And let me maybe read a few lines from Rav Lichtenstein. He says, At least three strains should be distinguished in Shemitah. As with the weekly Shabbat, the Shabbat of the land inculcates an awareness of God's absolute exclusive authority and ownership. It clips man's wings, yet enable him to fly. Um, he also talks about, it has a clear democratic strain. Shemitah equalizes the great and the small. Where its produce is concerned, there are no rich and poor, and there are hardly any differences between man and beast. The entire universe is invited to eat at the heavenly table. What remains for us today of this enchanting vision? Nothing but a hollow shell. The transition from an agricultural to an industrial economy has taken most of the work prohibitions off the agenda for most of the population. For this group, the situation is relatively good. We don't circumvent or distort the prohibitions. We just don't confront them. But as he says later on, he says, even though he thinks the Rabbanat should do their Hetemachira, and even though we obviously have to fulfill in a principle, we should be aware that what is happening here is a tragedy, a tragedy of Shemitah. And what exactly is the tragedy? The tragedy is that all of these wonderful lessons of Shemitah, the idea of being able to appreciate that we are not the ultimate master, that we are not the master of the universe, but God is. The idea that we can sometimes do with a little more social cohesion, knowing 
what the person who lives next door to us uh, has um, and what they do would be would be nice a little more social cohesion especially within a Jewish society in which we all want to become the notion of a well-needed uh, equalizer in economic terms um, is, is just gone and therefore I think it's incumbent upon us maybe particularly in an era in which uh, Shmita is so widely circumvented um, not only for those people who live outside Israel but even for those who do live in Israel for us to spend time studying the laws of Shemitah studying the message, messages of Shemitah to ensure that we even though we're not going to be keeping the letter of the law that we understand that these are aims of the Torah that these are uh, objectives which the Torah wants to instill into our lives so that they will enrich our spiritual uh, world they will enrich our 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 society and if even if we're going to be when it comes to Shemitah in a few years time um, keeping the Hetamachira and signing a Prozbul we would do well to try and absorb some of the spiritual messages of the Tisir thank you very much wishing everybody a Shabbat Shalom and a Yom Ha'atzma'ut Sameach